Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, or if you're listening after the fact on Apple Podcasts or podcast.com. I am your host, Brad Clear. It is Friday, March 6th, um, and we're just going to dive right into it this week. And I, I think with the NFL draft season really kicking into high gear here, we're done with the combine. Um, what the CBA vote going out to be ratified by next week. Um, we're about two weeks away from the start of the league year in free agency. Um, we're a little bit less. The real interesting thing, and this is the one that's really started to develop since the combine based on what's publicly been said um, and what's occurring, and that is the second pick in the draft, the Washington Redskins, and what they do at that spot. And I am here today, and my take on this is, quite frankly, I think that the Washington Redskins with that second overall pick in this coming draft should go with Tua and should take him at that second overall pick to be their franchise quarterback. And look, this is a, this is something that's really been developing since Ron Rivera made his comments saying they were evaluating all options. They met with Tua. They met with Joe Burrow. Obviously, we know that they met with Chase Young. Chase Young is a stud. The large projection as far as consensus is concerned for that second overall pick in the draft and really is... The best prospect in this draft overall, he is. If I had to pick one player in this draft and I had to say, you have to pick one player that you think will make the Hall of Fame or is most likely to make the Hall of Fame out of this draft class, I'm not putting that expectation on him. That's absurd. If I had to pick somebody with the greatest chance to get to that level, it would be Chase Young of the prospects in this draft class. But the reason I say that they should pick Tua instead of going that Chase Young route is this. When you look at the quarterback position and you look at the NFL, the quarterback position is so valuable. It is the most valuable position in all of sports. And you can't let yourself succumb to the sunk cost fallacy, especially with such an important position. If you have the ability, you being the Washington Redskins, and you're sitting there with that second overall pick, and there is the chance to add a quarterback who is an elite quarterback prospect who has a better chance of being a top 10 quarterback by far, in my opinion, than the quarterback you have in place, has a better chance of being a high-level franchise quarterback, and you don't already have a quarterback in place who you are 100% sure is your franchise quarterback or can be or is a franchise quarterback, it behooves you. you got to do it. you got to go and get this elite-level quarterback prospect that Tua is. You can't let yourself um, worsen your ability to contend for championships or to be the best team you can be for the next decade just because you picked a quarterback last year. Now, I'm not saying it's a surefire bet that Tua ends up coming in there and stays healthy and delivers to that extent, but I think he has a greater chance to bring that to this franchise than Dwayne Haskins does. To use a basketball analogy here, Unfortunately, the Kings did do this a couple years ago. You don't not pick Luka Doncic because you have De'Aaron Fox. You go way back a little bit. You're the Indiana Pacers. They did this right. You don't not pick Paul George because you have Danny Granger. And as far as Haskins as a quarterback prospect, because it comes across that I'm really negative on Haskins. You know, I've never been that crazy about him. I don't think he's bad. But I said it last year um, in my pre-draft shows and afterwards, and I'll say it now. 
I think Haskins, in his best case scenario, is a mid-tier quarterback in the NFL. Around the 17th or so, 18th or so best quarterback in the league. I think that's his best case. I'm really not crazy about him as a quarterback prospect. You know, he he's not the most mobile quarterback. However, he has the ability to extend plays um, and scramble. Um, and he's shown some pretty shown the ability this past year in certain circumstances to really make the big throws. But I don't look at Dwayne Haskins, and I really don't think many other people do. And I don't see a potential elite difference making quarterback. He's again, he's not bad, but he is not a top tier quarterback prospect. He's not a top tier, um, top ten future quarterback. To me, I don't see it. I didn't then. I don't now. My opinion on Dwayne Haskins is unchanged from what it was before last year, before the draft, before he played for the Redskins last year to now. It's unchanged. It's the same prediction or the same, um, not prediction, the same sentiment on him that I had now. It hasn't changed. His play last year did nothing to change what I thought of him before. And... We look at him, we talk about him playing last year. He did not start the season as the quarterback, ended up coming in. He got better as the season went along. You know, it was a rough start for him. It was. Uh, we look at the last couple games of the season. Bucky Brooks actually wrote a piece for NFL.com about this recently. Last two games of the season, uh, he had a 5-1 to touchdown to interception ratio, had a really high completion percentage. Uh, passer rating, I think, was about 120 or so in these last two games. So he looked great. He looked great in those last two games. And even just taking the stats out and just putting in the eye test here, you could see him as the season uh, developed. He got more confident. He started making more of those big throws. He did get better and got more comfortable. He did. Now, we also have to look, if we're talking about stats here, we got to go and look at this stat from Pro Football Focus, who of all qualified quarterbacks, Dwayne Haskins was the worst quarterback in the NFL with a clean pocket last season. Not great. So what we see here is this. There was good and there was bad. He got better, but he still was not that great. And that, to me, is not a quarterback who you look at and you're 100% sure that he is a definite, no doubt, long-term answer for you at the quarterback position. That's not being overly negative. That's just the reality of the situation. That's not a prospect that precludes you from picking a high-quality prospect at that same position. Another factor we have to look at in this um, situation is ownership. It was discussed and talked about as though last year there was a large, um, I guess, favor um, in terms of Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, being in favor of Dwayne Haskins, wanting Dwayne Haskins at that spot. That, that was a reported thing at the time. Um, he was a large proponent of Haskins. It was reported. But now it's a new regime. Ron Rivera is in there, basically seemingly given carte blanche by Dan Snyder to run this operation as he sees fit. You know, as we know, there is no general manager in place right now. And this regime now, just in terms of the football operations individuals, Doug Williams... Uh, was demoted to a lesser role. A lot of individuals, obviously Bruce Allen is now gone. This regime now, those who have the top decision-making power in football operations don't have that connection to Dwayne Haskins that the regime that picked him last year did. And I think the most damning thing here is this, right? If we, if we were to put Dwayne Haskins in this draft 
or to look at Dwayne Haskins and Tua just in a vacuum. Let's eliminate the factors of the fact that the Redskins picked Haskins last year and they have the second pick now. Well, let's eliminate all the external factors here. Let's just look at it straight as if you had Dwayne Haskins and Tua and you needed a quarterback and you had the pick in this draft. Ten times out of ten, you're picking Tua over Dwayne Haskins. Again, not being negative on Haskins, that's just an indication of how good Tua is as a quarterback prospect. And look, Tua is not this perfect quarterback prospect either. He comes with risk, right? Health concerns. He's a smaller quarterback. Um, outside of the hip injury, he has been banged up over the last couple of years. Um, he had great talent around him as far as playmakers were concerned, and his offensive line was concerned while at Alabama. So he's not a surefire, no doubt, elite, elite, elite quarterback. But looking at the skill set he has, mobility, accuracy, the ability to have it. He has an incredibly quick release, poise in the pocket. You can do a lot of versatile things with him in your offense. There is so much to like. And I, I can't not look at Tua and not see a guy who clearly has, if he stays healthy, the potential and ability to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL over the course of his career. He's a lefty Drew Brees that's also mobile. And if we were to look at Tua and Joe Burrow, you know, and I think this has been said by Todd McShay as well, if we knew guaranteed in this hypothetical that you had 10 years of a fully healthy Joe Burrow and 10 years of a fully healthy Tua, you know, of course, we, we can't discount how impactful injury concerns are, but if they're both perfectly healthy, you're taking Tua over Joe Burrow for the next 10 years. Now let's bring in the Chase Young aspect, and this is not meant to um, devalue Chase Young as a prospect. As I said, I think he's the best overall prospect in this draft. I think he's a better um, edge rusher prospect than Nick Bosa was last year, and Nick Bosa is a stud I think Chase Young is an absolute stud as well. And I mentioned the Hall of Fame. If I had to pick one player in this draft, most likely to make the Hall of Fame in the future, it would be Chase Young. I mentioned that already as well. But we look at edge and we look at quarterback. We look at major difference makers on the defensive side of the ball. And we look at quarterback. It's easier to get that defensive talent than it is to get the true top level franchise quarterback. And this is now this does not preclude you if you had a surefire quarterback situation. This what I'm about to say would not preclude you from picking Chase Young. But if you look at their defensive line and their edge rushers that they have in place, you know, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan is still there. So there's talent. It's not as if there's no talent as far as that um Defensive line and edge presence is concerned for this Washington Redskins team. Now, of course, that does not preclude you from picking, picking Chase Young if you are satisfied at the quarterback position. No question. Chase Young is going to be a stud. And, you know, I, I think it's also interesting. This could all just totally be posturing from Ron Rivera and the Redskins, right? They're sitting there at the second overall pick. Um, they've now made themselves really the uh, inflection point in this draft as far as a two-up or a two-up. A trade-up for Tua is concerned. That now goes through the Washington Redskins before it goes through the Detroit Lions because of this buzz, because of these reports, and because of what's been said. It, the Redskins basically now have right of re first refusal 
as far as if a team wants to trade the mother load to get up there to pick Tua as their franchise quarterback. And now what they've done is this. Even if this is all posturing and their intention is they're just going to pick Chase Young, they're satisfied with Dwayne Haskins, they've now done a few things. They've allowed themselves the ability to motivate Haskins. They can field offers to see what's really out there. If they can net a huge haul and move down because there's a lot of holes on this team that need to be addressed, I think they need to add some offensive playmakers. Um, Trent Williams is likely going to be traded. They need some help on the offensive line in that case. He did not play all of last year. They need help on the offensive line. Um, obviously working now to re-sign Brandon Scherf long-term. But if you can net a huge haul for that second overall pick, then good on you. You now can either say, hey, we really want to entertain the quarterback idea and pick Tua. We really want to entertain and see what's out there as far as a trade down is concerned. We've given ourselves leverage to do that, or we can just stay and pick Chase Young. Three options now in place because of all of this posturing. And I said this on an episode a couple weeks ago with the Detroit Lions, and I think it, it, it applies, even though it's different with the Lions having a veteran franchise quarterback moving towards the end of his career versus the Redskins having a young quarterback who is unproven in that franchise quarterback role, you got to take Tua because in the Redskins' case, Dwayne Haskins, again, he has not shown that he is a prospect who is worth passing up anyone else who at that position for him. Does Tua come with that risk? Yes. But the franchise quarterback, just to bring it all together here, And to sum it up, the franchise quarterback is too important and is the single most important position in all of sports. And the quarterback position, you don't just pick one just to pick one because they're the best quarterback available at that point in the draft because you have a need there. You look at it holistically over a couple-year period. And at worst, you know, if you look at this draft, last draft, and the draft before that, just as pure quarterback prospects, Tua is what? The third best at worst quarterback prospect in the last couple years? That's probably what I would say. So again, you can't worsen your long-term future just because of the sunk cost of having picked Haskins last year. I think that it's harder to get that franchise quarterback. I think a surefire franchise quarterback is worth two first-round picks. And look, it's a true dilemma. I won't fault them if they pick Chase Young, if they believe in Dwayne Haskins. But if I'm sitting there, I don't think Dwayne Haskins has a chance to be a top-10 quarterback. I think Tua does, and I'd rather have a top 10 quarterback than about the 18th to 20th best quarterback and a stud edge rusher. So I think they got to go Tua here. I'm really interested to see if this is all posturing, if they trade down, if they just stay and take Chase Young, or if they're really actually entertaining this Tua possibility. Um, Because if they are, I think they got to go Tua. Let's move away from the NFL and let's go to the NBA. And let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. So before the season, the Los Angeles Clippers were my title favorites. I predicted that they would win the championship. I predicted they would be the better of the two Los Angeles teams. And now that they are fully healthy, you know, they're finally playing this whole team full strength. Everyone is out there. This team is really Really, really, really good. They destroyed the Rockets on Thursday. And they have this team now where you have this incredible two-way ability. You can totally shut down 
the opposing team's best players, the opposing team's offenses. You're deep and you're versatile. You can play in so many different ways. You can throw so many five-man groups out there. This team is 10 deep, right? You want to go out there and play a five-man group and just want to stonewall the other team and just have a defensive presence across the board. All right, have fun getting past Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and whoever you put out there at the five. You want offensive firepower? Fine. You want to throw Lou Williams out there? You want to throw Landry Shamit in there? You can do that. You want to play small. You can play super small. Slide Morris down and go with Morris, Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Williams, and Landry Shamit, or Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams. Or you can play Jermichael Green in there at the five, bump up Morris, play Kawhi, play Paul George, whoever you want, Beverly and Lou Will at the one. This team is 10 deep, right? Kawhi, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit, Zubac, Montrez Harrell, Jermichael Green, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson. And then you got some nice pieces like Rodney Magruder as well, who I like. They just signed Joe Kim Noah today. You know, that's their only real weakness is they don't have a center, a big-bodied center who can really bang with other bigs, who can be a big-time rebounder, rim-protecting presence. That, that's really their only weakness here. Now, obviously, Joe Kim Noah doesn't address that. Uh, but, you know, I think also Zubach is a little bit underrated, but at the same time, again, that is their biggest weakness. But you look at this team, when they've been fully healthy, they're 10-0. and And when you have this team who's 10-0, and who's this versatile, who's this deep, who has this superstar talent at the top, let's say Kawhi goes out there and replicates close to what he did last year in the playoffs, where he was at an all-time level playoff performer or was an all-time level playoff performer for the Raptors last year, they have an answer for every team that they could play, right? They have multiple high-level elite defensive perimeter options. They have multiple high-scoring bench options. Montrez Harrell's a smaller center, but he's a great play, a great presence for them off the bench. As a sixth man, him and Lou Williams is an incredible pick-and-roll combination, the best two-man bench combination in the league, the two most impactful, really, bench players in the league, both on the same team, just as far as what they do for this Clippers team. If you're going out there and Jermichael Green is playing well and Landry Shamit is hitting threes and is actually able to make plays off the dribble and create mid-range shots for himself— and you have Kawhi and Paul George, and Marcus Morris isn't playing hero ball, and Patrick Beverly is his typical hard-nosed, incredible defensive presence, Patrick Beverly self, this team, outside of what you'd really want as a big-time rim protector, at the five, there is no weakness. You don't suffer from a lack of a bench. You don't suffer from being able to match up with other teams. You don't suffer from being able to guard players like LeBron, like Anthony Davis, like James Harden like Russell Westbrook. You don't suffer from any of those things, like Luka Doncic, like Kristaps Porzingis. You have optionality, you have flexibility, you can play any style you want, and we've seen it in this stretch where this team literally has not lost a game with this group fully healthy. 
And I think the thing that's most impactful to me watching them is the defensive presence is absurd. You have two elite perimeter defenders in Kawhi and Paul George. You have a very, very good perimeter defender in Marcus Morris. You have a very, very good defender in Patrick Beverly. All four of those guys on the court at the same time, how are you scoring? You know? They're going to disrupt passing lanes. They're going to clamp down on you in the perimeter. They're going to be able to sag off of guys who are in the corner when guys want to drive to the rim. They can sag off those guys because of the defensive talent around them and the ability to trust that help defense will come in certain situations. I look at this team and I see very few weaknesses. Now, I look at them in the Lakers, right? They're deeper than the Lakers. They're more versatile than the Lakers. The Lakers do have, I guess, the better ability to be physical from the interior and protect the rim and be, you know, just have guys in there like a JaVale McGee um, and just have guys, and like Dwight Howard has been as well, just have guys who can kind of bang a little bit, can rebound, can be rim protectors. You know, I'm probably discounting Zubac here again, but the Lakers have that more physical presence from the interior. But the Clippers have multiple options to neutralize LeBron James. Or to attempt to, at least. You can only minimize and neutralize LeBron James to a certain extent. I don't think the Lakers, to me, match up with the Clippers as well as the Clippers match up with the Lakers. Because I think the Clippers will have no issue shutting down the rest of the offensive options that surround LeBron James and Anthony Davis on this team. And I think it's going to get tough for the Lakers you know, depending on how the Clippers want to take these games, what style they want to go for, the the Lakers can't just match up with any of these different five-man groups that the Clippers want to roll out there. And I've been tempted to kind of move off that Bucks or that Clippers championship prediction and move towards the Bucks with them having a historically good regular season. And maybe I kind of did a little bit about two weeks ago, but... I'm fully back on the Clippers train here. This team has every bits of the making of a championship team. And to see, I guess, the idea of what this team was in the offseason just come together and just dominate like they have, it's truly a sight to behold. So I'm really looking forward to the Sunday 3.30, the first full-strength Clippers-Lakers game. What else could you ask for? Primetime, 3.30 Sunday, ABC. That'll be a great watch. But again... It's got to be the Clippers as the title favorites moving forward. This fully healthy team is just absolutely absurd. Now let's move off of the NBA and let's go, we're hitting all the topics here. Let's go to the MLB and let's talk about Christian Yelich, who for my money is the second best player in the game today behind Mike Trout. A former MVP, an MVP level player every year, these last couple years. Uh, getting that seven-year, $188 million extension on top of his existing two years, $26.5 million remaining to come to an overall nine years and $215 million for Yelich um, moving forward. And so there's two thoughts here. One is the initial thought that a player of Christian Yelich's caliber, if you were a free agent just out there on the open market, he's getting nine for 270 Right? He's getting $30 million a year, no question. But it's interesting here because of this. The Brewers didn't have to ex- didn't have to extend him right now. He has two years left on incredible value uh, salary figures for the next two years. 
They didn't have to do this now. They could have said to Christian Yelich, all right, you know, we're going to, we want to give you the big money deal when you come up as a free agent, but you have two years left, so we don't need to do this right now. So they're probably in this figure, you know, seven for 188, obviously short of the $30 million a year figure. You kind of have to think that there's a premium involved in getting such a large year's commitment when you still have two years left, when the team doesn't have to extend you right now. So a little bit of a yearly salary discount to get that incredible long-term security at that $215 million mark over nine years. Now, if we do the $215 million over nine years, the average annual salary is not that great. It's 23.8. We do the 188 over seven years, about 26.8. So both are below what a player like Yelich would get on the open market. But again, you can look at it and say that it is too low, which it is, but also recognize why it's low because the team did not have to do what they did at this moment in time. So if you're Yelich, look, you've been playing at this incredible MVP level. You could very well do it for another two years. I would expect him to be this incredible MVP level player for the next two years. But you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So if you're Yelich and you can say, all right, I like it in Milwaukee. I can guarantee myself nine years and over $200 million. May as well. And if I take a little bit lower of what I should get on an average annual salary basis to help the team with payroll moving forward, so be it. So this is a great, great deal for the Brewers to get a player of Yelich's caliber at the average annual value that he will be at over the course of this seven years, $188 million after the next two years are up. And for Yelich, it's just locked in long-term security and you're helping your team out because you're having a lower salary and helping your team with payroll flexibility moving forward. And then the last topic here I wanted to get into is the big money going down in the media rights landscape, in the NFL commentary landscape, in the NFL rights landscape. Tony Romo signing a contract that could end up being worth $180 million over 10 years um, to remain in his role as the lead uh, color commentator analyst alongside of Jim Nance in CBS's top booth. And perhaps the top booth in the entirety of the NFL broadcasting realm, depending on what you think of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Those are your top two pairings. And there's a lot of thoughts to be had here. First is, first is this. The CBA potentially could be ratified by March 12th of next week. There is a huge rush from the owners of the NFL here to get this CBA ratified because they want to lock it in to be able to go out and negotiate or start negotiating these TV rights deals, which are up in 2022. You got an extra game. You got extra playoff games. It's before ratings potentially, you know, maybe get lower. I don't know. You can go out there now and you can start negotiating these monster, monster rights deals for the next five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years, whatever it may be. And what all of these major networks are doing now is they are trying to position themselves in the best way to make themselves attractive to get the best package possible. I mean, this isn't a novel concept here. It's just basic business. Um, and so the interesting aspect was with CBS, you know, they were negotiating with Romo, and according to New York Post here, they kind of got to a middle point where they kind of said, you know what, we're going to pivot. Let's see if Peyton Manning takes our deal. He didn't take it right away, 
So they just said, all right, screw it. We're just going to give Tony Romo the monster $18 million a year and just lock it in. Because clearly, Disney was going to go all out to get Tony Romo in there to get him to be their lead color commentator analyst for Monday Night Football. And then if you're Disney ESPN and you can go to the NFL and say, hey, let's get Monday Night Football on ABC and we have Tony Romo in our commentary booth, you're positioned in the best possible way out of any of the major players in this rights deal landscape. Now, it's interesting to see what the next move will be for Disney to get um, that sort of premier commentator into the Monday Night Football booth um, to be as attractive as possible for the NFL in these rights negotiations. There's the rumor now that even though Tony Romo just got that $18 million a year, they could be looking, Disney could be looking to go 18 to $20 million a year for Peyton Manning, who's rejected the role twice and has not really shown that he really, really wants to do it. But hey, I mean, if you're getting offered $20 million a year, that's hard to pass up. And what's happened here with this Romo contract is now it's really just kind of totally disrupted the marketplace and valuation method for major media personalities for all of these major media entities. Right, Stephen A. Smith, for example, just signed to be the highest paid talent at ESPN I think it was $8 million a year or so. And ESPN was clearly willing to give Tony Romo double that. That opens up an entire headache where you have all these talent contracts coming up. What are you willing to pay all these talent who now see that you are willing to give Tony Romo $16 million a year? Potentially Peyton Manning up to $20 million a year. All of your talent expenses now go up. I'm not saying that's a positive or a negative. I'm just saying that's the reality of the situation. So now getting back to the core issue at hand of the NFL rights deals. As I said, the owners are really pushing to get the CBA done in order to move towards starting to negotiating these deals or starting to negotiate these deals. And it's also interesting to look at what the future holds for Sunday Ticket. Sunday Ticket, as we know, has been on DirecTV for all these years. To me, Sunday Ticket uh, looks to be a really interesting sort of piece for the streaming entity aspect of these rights deals. You know, I don't look at the NFL and seeing them being 100% willing to entirely devote the rights to one of these game packages solely to a streaming entity. So for Sunday Ticket, you then look at an Amazon or a DAZN or a Facebook or YouTube TV, whoever it may be, whatever digital entity, streaming entity that there is out there, Peacock, ESPN Plus, whatever. To me, the sort of streaming entity or streaming entity aspect of this rights deal comes into play for Sunday Ticket. To me, Sunday Ticket is perfectly tailored for a streaming platform with the ability it has to just create an additional large um, large piece of content for these libraries. To just give another smorgasbord of content out there to subscribers to these platforms. And if you're out there and you're a zone, right? You know, Amazon, it doesn't make or break Amazon. They have all the money in the world. Their business model is not dependent on sports rights. They can just get into that business to bolster the benefits of Amazon Prime subscribers. If you're zone, if you're zone, you get the Sunday ticket, you've hit the jackpot. You have this incredible international presence, and now you have Sunday ticket in the United States. That's your golden goose right there. 
That justifies every strategic move you have been making in the last 24 months of your DAZN. So if you're DAZN, you can go all out. You've just hit the jackpot if you can get Sunday ticket. And if you're the NFL, you don't want to shut out potential older demographics by solely going to a streaming entity with, say, your AFC package or whatever package it may be. So I'm interested now to see what the next move is for Disney in that commentator role. You know, I think the big thing here, I think all this can be tied to is I think they missed the boat not getting Joe Thomas and going with Jason Witten a couple of years ago. I think Joe Thomas would have been great in the role. Greg Olson still wants to play. Philip Rivers still wants to play. I think both of them would be great. Greg Olson has already shown that he's great in the role. Peyton Manning obviously would be great, but does he really want to take the role? So, you know, now it's really interesting to see who's the color guy that they can get. Do they want to move to a new play-by-play guy, move off of Joe Tessitore? Who knows? You know, I personally really like Steve Levy in his play-by-play role with the XFL. I think he'd be a great option there as well. The point is this. The possibilities are endless as far as talent is concerned for these major networks and entities all bidding to get a piece of the pie for these now surely to be double the price that they once were NFL rights. So I'm really interested to see how that maneuvering goes. Does Peyton Manning sign and what happens to the overall model for talent contracts in the media landscape moving forward? And with that, that will be all for this episode of After the Final Whistle with me, Bradley Clear, here on WSOE 89.3 FM, or if you are listening after the fact on Apple Podcasts or podcast.com, be sure to check back in for more episodes moving forward. NFL free agency coming up, the craziness going on in the sports media realm, all of that good stuff, and of course the NFL draft. So once again, shout out to you, the listener. Shout out to the NFL Draft. Shout out to the sports media landscape. Again, I'm your host, Brad Clear. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at BradClear underscore Clear spelled K-L-I-E-R. And as always, goodbye and good night.